Undertaker signals it's over. Maybe he's not human. Again. Oh. All right, Brock Lesnar counter. Brock Lesnar counter. Lesnar counter. He's got Undertaker up in his shoulders again. And again. Going for a triple. A third and five to the Undertaker. Brock Lesnar into the cover. Hugs the leg. The streak is over. Welcome to Orsini's Uncensored Mind, and now your host, AJ Orsini. Hello, everyone. My name is AJ Orsini, and I am your host of Orsini's Uncensored Mind. And I was supposed to start this episode off happy as fuck. Uh, Christmas was good to the house of O. I talked to you guys before about getting new equipment and doing all this cool new shit in 2018. I was super stoked. That new equipment that I spoke of is here. I got this nice little setup now. There's a nice board in front of me. I got a stand. I, this is looking sassy. And I'm supposed to be fucking happy. But I'm not. I'm not fucking happy. Again, I'm not angry as fuck. That particular day will stand in infamy with me. But I'm not angry as fuck. I'm frustrated as fuck. At the moment, I'm frustrated as fuck. Because if you uh, noticed on my social media, I mentioned, I think it was Monday, that uh, I am sans cell phone. I don't have a cell phone. I live on my cell phone. I am my cell phone. My cell phone and I are one. And I don't have a fucking cell phone right now. I've been down since fucking Monday. Okay? Short version of the story goes as such. I'm chilling Sunday with the family. We're getting ready for bed. I take a quick shower. I come out of the shower, uh, get into the room. Everyone's going to sleep. I set my phone on the charger like I normally do, go to sleep. About 2 or 3 in the morning, uh, my son, my wife, and I wake up to this bright fucking light in the room. And it's coming from my fucking phone. So my wife thought, hey, who's calling you? Because I'm sure she was about to unleash the wrath of hell for whoever was calling my fucking phone at, uh, at 2 or 3 in the fucking morning. Now, she didn't hear a ringer because my phone ringer is literally never on. Uh, my phone is on vibe all the time. So uh, I get up to go check the phone, and I have the blue screen of fucking death. Now, if you don't know much about computers, the blue screen of death is that blue screen you get on your computer. It's an actual blue screen with white lettering mentioning a bunch of codes and error messages and basically the short version of that screen is is you're fucked you're you're fucked up your whole system is shit uh and you're either a hair away from fucking death or that's pretty much the signal for death which is my case i had never seen in my entire life the blue screen of death uh on a fucking cell phone never once seen it uh, probably never will because that's just my fucking life and i'm not gonna fucking ever see it on anybody else's phone i'm sure 
So I got the blue screen of death on my fucking cell phone at 2 or 3 in the fucking morning. Now, uh, my phone was on the charger, as previously mentioned. So I removed the phone from said charger. The blue screen of death goes away. The phone completely turns off. I plug the phone back in, and the fucking load screen comes back on. I have an LG phone. So I'm plugging my phone back in. I get the LG message. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, all's well at the moment, but I got a call tomorrow. I got to call T-Mobile to see what's up with this phone because blue screen of death, never good, right? So I plug the fucker back in. LG screen starts loading up. I go back to bed, all right? I get up at 5.30 in the morning, which is what I do every fucking day of my life. I get up at 5.30 in the fucking morning. I go to get my phone because I usually go to the bathroom at 5.30. That's my morning rich, right? So I get my phone off. Phone's off. Not it's not lit up. There's no LG, nothing. Dead stick, just fucking gone. So I said, okay, I'm gonna call the fucking cell phone company, which is T-Mobile. I have a T-Mobile phone, so I said, okay, I'll contact T-Mobile, see what's up. Call T-Mobile later in the day. This is Monday. They said, oh, okay, well, since it's dead, dead, there's not really much we can do as far as troubleshooting. I told them everything that I did. I tried different batteries, plugs, all the fucking nine. This fucking thing is gone, deceased. Rest in peace, uh, my phone. So they said, all right, cool, we'll overnight you, key phrase, overnight you a fucking phone uh, to your the nearest location to you, because what's going to happen is, is that they're going to have to run a three-point diagnostic on your phone, make sure nothing's really up, screen's not fucked up, water damage, yada, 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 which it's none of the above. So they said, as long as it's none of the above, you should be fine. Uh, your insurance will cover the phone. I think they're going to hit me with like a $5 surcharge. Which is nothing. I could pay that shit out of pocket, obviously. So I was like, all right, fine. Just send it as soon as you can. They said, cool, no problem, sir. We're going to overnight it. This was at 5 or 6 p.m. on Monday. So we're going to overnight it, but you have to keep in mind and consideration that, you know, there's a lot of weather conditions, snow all over the place, tough with travel, chopper shipping, yada, 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 yada. Okay, cool. So am I getting it Tuesday or not? Well, look for it on Tuesday, but worst case scenario, you'll probably have to look for it um, uh, Wednesday. Cool, fine. So Tuesday, I checked on it, but I really, I wasn't really concerned. So today's Wednesday, so I'm supposed to get my fucking phone today, okay? I'm literally filming this uh, right now on a Wednesday. So, Wednesday afternoon, as a matter of fact. It's about 4.30 right now. So I checked earlier during my lunch because I work right around the corner from a T-Mobile. I said, hey, I'm working at this location. Send it to this location so I could just check it during my lunch. So I went during my lunch. And they said that the, the, the phone uh, was not in, but that they didn't get the shipment in. I went, I think, like around 11 o'clock. So we normally get shipments around 12 or 3, 12, in between 12 and 3. So if you come around that, uh, preferably around 3, uh, we should have the phone. Cool, no problem. I get out at 3. So I'll just walk on over. And by the time I get here, you should be cool and have my phone. They said, yep, we should definitely have your phone by 3. So I get out of work. I walk around the corner. I go to fucking T-Mobile at 3.10. No phone. Zero fucking phone. They have no phone for me. Not only do they not have a phone for me, they have no idea where my phone is. They have no idea how long it's going to take for it to be delivered. Nothing. I have no fucking information at all whatsoever. Now, when I got home, the intent, uh, I could have called when I got home, I'm sure... I can get information as to where my phone is, but I got to do this podcast right now. So I'm going to have to wait till after this fucking podcast to make the fucking phone call that I need to make to figure out where the fuck the phone is. Now, I was born in 1983. I went an awful long time in life without a fucking cell phone. But I am not one of these 
moronic older people that say, well, back in my day, I didn't need all this technology. No, I need this fucking technology, bro. I grew up with Etch-A-Sketches and Light Brights and freaking uh, uh, two-button video game systems. I need the good shit. This generation has all the good shit, all the good tech. I need the good tech. I need the cell phone in my hand. I live on my fucking cell phone. Emails and messages and business. I handle all of my business and almost all of my personal shit on my phone. I don't really see much of my family. So my phone, through messages and through Facebook and social media, it's kind of how I keep in touch with my uh, my family and, and for most of my friends. And, of course, my business stuff, not just my actual day job, but my wrestling stuff's on there. So I need my fucking cell phone. So I wasn't feeling it yesterday because I knew that I was going to get it today. Now, with my phone's future in question marks, I'm fucking sweating. I'm itching. I'm like Tyrone from fucking Chappelle Show right now. I need my fucking cell phone. Big time. Need it. So, I'm not angry as fuck. I'm frustrated as fuck. And I'm sure I'm not the only one listening to this right now who's gone through cell phone shit. And I'm not going to kill T-Mobile because I've actually had a really good relationship with T-Mobile for a long time. They let me slide on a lot of shit. There was one phone I had that uh, literally got ran over in the street. They handled that good for me. I had one phone that legit did have water damage, but they kind of overlooked it for me because I've been a long-term customer. You know, so they've let me go on a lot of shit. So I'm not going to kill T-Mobile, but I'm just frustrated because I want a fucking phone. I need my fucking phone. I cannot stress this enough. I, I have gone so far when it comes to my cell phone. There was one time, legit, I was sleepy as hell. I, did, I was working at a security job where uh, I was supposed to be in the job, I think like 6 in the morning. So I'm, I'm leaving my house like 4, 4.30 in the fucking morning. So I'm like half, you know, I'm, I'm basically half asleep. So it, it, I didn't have a car at the time. So it's, two, it's, um, it's one bus and a train, a long bus ride. And a decent train ride just to get to, actually, no, it was two buses. A bus to the train, train to the bus to my job. So it took like an hour and some change to get to my job. And I remember being asleep on the first bus, practically, being asleep on that train. And then when I was waiting for that third bus, I, I, had, I had missed it. So I had to wait like another 15 minutes. And that's when it dawned on me. I didn't have my fucking phone. I was like, I slept pretty much through all that shit and realized I didn't have my phone. But wouldn't you fucking know, yes, that's right. I got back on that fucking train and I went home and I got my fucking phone. And that made me 90 minutes late. I got into work uh, officially around 9.30, 9.40 and they were not happy with me, but I need my goddamn phone. It's very serious to me, my cell phone. I need it. I need it bad. I cannot be away from it for this long. And I've never been away from, the, from this long. That's this particular phone. This particular phone is a really good model. I like this phone. It's perfect for me. All the storage, everything. It's perfect. I even have like an external thing to it. It's awesome. I've filmed promos on this phone. I've recorded my son's life on this phone. I need this phone. So I'm frustrated as fuck, but I will get over it. I will get over it. When my wife gets home, my son gets home, I will be preoccupied with taking care of family shit. So... Uh, for right now, though, because it's fresh. This literally just happened. Well, I went to the store to go get the fucking phone, and then I came here, and then I just started recording. So it's fresh. So I'm in my feelings about this. But, uh, but yeah. So that's, the, uh, that's what's going on. So let's, let's, now that I got that shit off my chest, let's go back to the positive shit. Okay, let's go back to the positive shit. I got my new baby. 
Got a whole new mixer here in front of me. I got microphone stands. I got I got four fucking mics. I got a lot of shit going on here. A lot of brand new spanking new toys uh, to play with here. And I have been talking to different people about doing interviews. Um, now that I have the equipment, because uh, I don't mind being mobile and going to different places to do the interviews. One of the things that I didn't want to do as far as interviews is I don't like the radio interview. I'm uh, the radio. I don't like the, the the phone interview. I've been asked a few times when they're like, well, I can call in. And I may do some call-ins because there's some guys that don't live in my area, i.e. there's a, definitely a guy in, in, uh, in the Carolinas I want to talk to, some talent over in Texas I want to talk to, some talent over in Cali I want to talk to, some talent in Chi-Town that I know that I want to talk to. So for those guys and gals, uh, I may be relegated to a phone interview, which will be fine. We'll make do. Uh, but I genuinely prefer the personal face-to-face interview i just think it sounds better because it's the audio is better i i I think the interaction is better i think the conversation will be better face-to-face i don't want to do a whole lot of uh cell phone stuff and if that means that i have to travel then then that's what i have to do i guess i don't mind traveling to do what i have to do i've done it before i've packed up the car and my wife and driven to places just to interview them and then come back so wouldn't be the first time won't be the last I'm currently using one of my new microphones right now. Uh, let me see. Let me grab this box. Yeah, let's get this box here. An EMB professional. Look at that. E-Mic 800. <laughs> it sounds so technical. It's all cool stuff. So I got some brand new toys here. I'm talking to some pretty important people. Um, well, hopefully you deem them important as far as your interviews. And the interview, the, the stuff with the interviews, like it go, it ranges. There's a bunch of guys that I know um, personally that I don't think get enough shine that I, I think uh, would do well to get an interview. Then there's, uh, you know, your usual names, you know, that you guys have seen on your TV a bunch of times that I've always wanted to get uh, a chance to interview and, and ask them the questions I've always wanted to ask them. So... It's going to be a lot of fun. I already have a few interviews scheduled. Um, uh, the Royal Rumble, I, I've been trying to do, right? Uh, I did a Survivor Series um, episode leading up to the Survivor Series. So the plan, I think I said it that night, the plan is to do uh, big go-home shows uh, for the big four, which would be Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, and SummerSlam. This year's SummerSlam is going to be in Brooklyn. Duh, debating whether or not I will personally be there, but um, I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. I don't do these shows anymore. I, I just don't have it in me to go to these WWE shows anymore. But um, for the sake of uh, content, you know, as far as the show and, and my own personal content, for because uh, I'm trying to get my YouTube channel and stuff going and trying to really get some real content out there for myself. So for the sake of content, I may actually end up going. But, you know, if it was just me chilling, hanging out with the family, I probably wouldn't go. But, uh, yeah, so those are the big four. I'm probably going to do go-home shows for those. Um, I did one already for Survivor Series. I'm going to be doing one for the Royal Rumble, which will air, I believe. I have to pull it up here. But I believe, yes, that will air on the 24th, January 24th. This is episode 14, so that would be episode 16. will be the go-home episode um, over Scenes Uncensored Mind for the Royal Rumble. Um, I do have two confirmed guests for that episode. Um, I will wait till next week to reveal who they are, um, just because uh, 
I just want to make sure everything's still good. I don't announce. I don't want to announce people and then they don't come. You know that would be odd. So I'll wait till we get a little closer. But I do have two two confirmed guests for that show. Um, they're gonna come in. We're gonna talk Royal Rumble. We're gonna talk wrestling stuff. Um, we're gonna do the same thing with the Survivor Series, where I had my top favorite, um, my top five favorite shows. I will be revealing my top, my five top favorite shows, and um, and I will have them reveal theirs. I've already up, uh, told them ahead of time that's what we're gonna be doing. So uh, if you guys have anything you want to chime into that episode, you can also email me or message me. You can email me at agorcini96host at gmail and you can message me on all my. Uh, usual social media outlets. So there's some things that I wanted to talk about here on this show. And uh, and again, I don't want to come off like an angry son of a bitch, uh, but I was pretty fucking hyped about it, and I figured this would be some good topics. Normally when I start thinking topics, because I have this system that now, now that I'm on the 14th episode, I'm starting to d- develop this little fucking habit, maybe even a system, if you will, of, uh, if you will, of uh, putting ideas on a, on a, I have a, a Microsoft Word that sits on my, uh, first of all, I have my own Orsini Uncensored Mind folder on my laptop. It's got all the shit. It's got the bytes on it. It's got bits. It's got whatever. It's got official shit that I have posted and then a bunch of shit that I haven't. Uh, you'll be um, surprised how many things that I've done for the show that has not aired because I just don't feel that confident about them. Um so I, I've, I I have all these fucking um, notes on my fucking laptop for the show. And there are a lot of things that I've done where I, I said, okay, this episode I'm going to talk about this, this, this. And then I'll get going on a particular topic and then eventually I'll just have to, you know, literally cut one of them out. And I don't get rid of it completely. I just kind of keep it, um, keep it to the side. But there's a lot of fucking things that I've had here. And... Um, because of my cell phone situation, I have been preoccupied with a lot of other shit this week. So I'm divulging. I'm dipping in, if you will, to the uh, into the folder here. Because recently there has come a, a, a firestorm of different criticisms when it comes to, to wrestling. And one of the criticisms that has been coming up, and it comes from both sides. Not just fan, but it's been it's fan it's insider it's it's wrestlers it's referees it's people that are actually in the business and then people who pretend to be in the business and and you can tell right away if if you're not really aware of uh of who the kind of person is that really is in the business and really isn't there's usually a tell there's usually a big giveaway and that big giveaway usually tends to be the guy who fucking can't stop talking about it that's usually the big giveaway. The guy who just can't shut the fuck up about all the inside shit that he knows. That's usually a guy who's not in the business, either not in the business full time, meaning he does a few spot shows here and there and kind of, be, you know, he's like a once a month, maybe once every two months kind of performer. And he shares a few locker rooms with a few people every now and then and can't help but tell every story he possibly can and, and tell other people's story to sound interesting. Then there's the guys and gals who are really in the business who you rarely ever hear speak about the business because when you're in the wrestling business all the time, when you're not in a locker room or uh, in some group chat or whatever the fuck involving actual wrestling, the last thing you really want to fucking talk about <laughs> it's fucking wrestling. I don't know how many times I've told my own personal friends, we have got to find a day to pick 
where we're not talking about anything involved with fucking wrestling because we're always doing it and we're always involved in it and it's just it's very taxing. Um, there's a and that's why I always tell people there's a difference between being in the business and then being a fan of the business. When you're a fan of the business, a real true fan of the business, it's very difficult to find time uh, to not see wrestling. I mean, you're obsessed. You're watching it all the time. Uh, at one point, that was me in my life. I was obsessed. I, I'm still kind of obsessed, but uh, I would watch it every two seconds. Um, it was on all the time. Even when I wasn't watching TV, it was on. Uh, VH, VHS tapes that were looped and now internet streams and, and all kinds of shit. When you're in the business, you don't do all those things. You kind of take a fucking break. Not only do you take a fucking break, but you, you're very specific on what you watch or you're a fan of uh, when you're in it. You know, when you're a regular fan, I mean, you just consume all the wrestling that you can. When you're, uh, when you're in the business, you have a particular taste for things. You know, and, and more often than not, it's the shit that you do. <laughs> you know, if you're a ring technician, you usually tend to find yourself watching more ring technician shit. When you're more of an aerialist, you're you're more into that stuff. As a fan, you you're more appreciative of that work, so you tend to pay more attention to that stuff. So, what are the criticisms that I'm going to talk about? And it's a conversation that a lot of people either have misinformation on or just really don't understand the gravity of the conversation. I think people take this conversation a little too lightly. And it's something that I did want to talk about toward the beginning of the episode, but I was already getting into so much deep and depressing shit. I just kind of kept putting it off. But it came up again this week, and uh, it came under fire, so we're going to talk about it. I'm going to stop beating around the bush. And the, and the topic of conversation, of course, would be the death or stability, depending on where you stand on this, on kayfabe. And kayfabe is a very big conversation amongst certain circles. And the reason for that is because there's a large amount of people, and I would dare say they're kind of the majority at this point, and I don't understand why they would be, but they, uh, I think it's the majority at this point of uh, not just outsiders, but insiders. I hear insiders discuss it all the time as well. And the, um, the majority, I think, feel that kayfabe is dead. The kayfabe has been dead for a long time. That, uh, so, and, but that's the thing. It, for people that feel like kayfabe is dead, I could never really get a clear and definitive uh, death stamp, uh, time stamp on that. Because some people will say, oh, uh, kayfabe was dead when, uh, when the internet uh, uh, came about and became a strong force in the business, or kayfabe died when Vince started the global brand, or kayfabe died when this guy did this on television, and kayfabe died. Like everybody, even for the people who consider it a majority, they don't really have a definitive time period in which they could point to to say, okay, well that's when it that's when it's dead. Even for people who feel confident in pointing to it, I can pull two or three other people. Right next to him, that'll be like, oh, no, that wasn't it. This was it. So even for the majority who say kayfabe is dead, I can't really get a clear idea as to when it actually died. And more importantly, how it actually died. Can't really get a definitive answer on that. You know, uh, uh, Vince doing all the interviews and letting people behind the scenes and developing the and, and letting people develop relationships as real people rather than characters. The fact that 
they refer to Triple H as Paul on TV or or when they uh, do these little behind the scene gimmicks where they do the the call ups and then let people know, like letting people inside and giving them the view of what's happening that all of a sudden that's the death of kayfabe and 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 so on and so forth so i wanted to have that conversation and by having that conversation of course i have to take a stance and the stance that i take is is i not only am a proponent but i absolutely 100% believe that kayfabe is not dead i don't believe it at all my problem with my, my own stance is that I, I'm probably one of the very few that still believe that. And what happens is, is when you don't believe it, you don't hold yourself to the standard of kayfabe. And you always use the excuse of, well, kayfabe's dead. It's been dead for a long time. Okay, well, I mean, how is it dead? At what po- Again, when I ask, at what point did it die? So... So the most frequent answer that I get for, well, how is kayfabe dead? People always give, the most popular answer that I always get is, well, everyone knows it's fake. That's the one that, that's the one that people always rock with. Well, everyone knows that it's fake. Everyone knows that it's predetermined. Which, again, that's another, that's another topic for another day, I think. The whole fake thing, wrestling being fake. You know, Lesnar said it, and, and a few people, you know, that, uh, wrestling's fake. That's a conversation for another day. Let's talk about just strictly about the kayfabe part. All right, uh, people say, well, they're all in on the joke now. Everyone knows. There's nothing really secretive anymore. I said, well, kayfabe is not a secret. That's not what kayfabe is. Okay, well, kayfabe uh, is dead anyway. Okay, well, uh, okay, well, if if it's not dead because people knew it was fake, how is it dead now? Well, all, all the marks are in the business now. That's how kayfabe did. All the marks. Everybody came on the opposite side of the rail when they really shouldn't. Okay, agreed. There are far too many fans pretending to be in the business and pretending to be a part of the process when they're really not. I can agree to that. Still don't know how that breaks kayfabe. Because I can tell you this. There's a lot of people who share locker rooms with real pros and pretend and play the game. They're not in on the inside. They are not in the inside. They're not. They have no idea what's happening around them. None. I know a lot of guys that share locker rooms with some pretty big names. They know nothing about what's going on. More often than not in a locker room today, a lot of guys are so busy either making jokes or keeping to themselves, they don't know what's happening in the ring, let alone what's happening backstage the decision making, the booking, how this person truly is. They don't know. There are people on the inside who don't know. So, again, I ask, how is kayfabe dead? How? Because I think for you to distinguish whether or not kayfabe is dead, you must determine what kayfabe is. And if your thought process is, well, kayfabe is dead because everyone's in on the joke, I don't think there's ever really been a time, and correct me, and anyone can correct me if I'm wrong, but while there are a lot of people who may have believed very strongly that what they were seeing was real, I think everybody from the beginning kind of had the inkling that something might be up. I don't think there was ever a time where 100% of the people truly believed that this was a real shoot deal. I mean, even newspapers, I, I remember hearing the story from Al Snow 
It was like back in 1938. They stopped printing the results in the newspaper because people started getting smartened up to the idea that this was all predetermined stuff. It wasn't uh, true athletics like a basketball game or a football game or actual Greco-Roman wrestling. You know, it, it was beca- it was the, the outcomes, the finish were being determined. And I think that's, to me, that's that's not what it is. See, to me, and I think I already said, I, I just said the word actually of what I actually think that it is. And to me, kayfabe has always been belief. Belief to me is kayfabe. You have to give these people something to believe in. They're purchasing a ticket to see the show, but they're taking, they're they're purchasing this ticket with the motivation of belief. They want to believe, okay? They want to get taken on this ride. When they go to the movie theater to see the Avengers, they know that that's Chris Evans. They know that's Robert Downey Jr. They know that's Paul Bettany. But for two and a half hours, that's Captain America, that's Iron Man, and that's Vision. And they want to enjoy that, okay? There's a reason why the movie is what it is, and then the blooper reel is separate from the movie, okay? When you include the blooper reel in the movie, you ruin the movie. I don't know how many times I go online and I hear people say that this was poorly acted, it was poorly written, just shitting on the movie all around. They didn't believe Thus, in fact, the movie was not good. When they believed, when they bought into it, when they were entertained by everything put forth in front of them, they believed and they enjoyed it. Now, movies and wrestling are two different forms of entertainment. Movies don't require actors to actually be these people. When they're on set, they are these people. But they're free to, to not be these people afterward. And there's a reason for that. Okay, now these Marvel movies are kind of a bad example because Chris Evans has kind of been Captain America for about 10 years. But more often than not, when an actor portrays a character, he portrayed a character for that three months when he filmed it. And then uh, he, he watched along with everybody else as these movies played. But he may, for the most part, never be that character again. As a matter of fact, he has to portray other characters very, very, very soon. So he can't attach himself to the character. You know, Robert De Niro can't be the guy from Cape Fear all the time. He has to be other characters. So you can't commit to characters like that. You have to go back and forth and try different things. As an actor, that's what makes you who you are. Your ability to portray different characters and your versatility. In pro wrestling, it's the opposite. In pro wrestling, it's the opposite. What gets you over and what makes you money is your commitment to the one character you have. You're not an actor who plays multiple characters. You have to get over an identity to a large group of people. And that only happens when you commit to the character that you're playing. It's the only way that that works. Because if the audience, if a pro wrestling audience can tell, not only do you not give a shit about what you're doing, not only did you not take the time to, to portray the character in an entertaining way, okay? They're not going to fucking buy into it. And I don't mean the way that you believe because that's another part of the problem. And a gimmick idea, a, uh, an entrance theme choice, a style in the ring, whatever it is, it might be what you like. 
But if you can't get hundreds, possibly thousands of people to pay to see it, it's fucking useless. I don't care if you like it. Okay, so so we're drifting now. So we get back to kayfabe. To me, kayfabe is belief. Okay, so that's why to me, kayfabe will never actually be dead because if I told you this is who I am and you have no way to prove that I'm not this person, you have to take me at face value. If you never, if I met someone on the street for the first time who's never heard my podcast, never seen me on YouTube, never seen me on TV, if they just met me and I shook their hand and I said, my name is Bill. He would look at me and probably say Bill is a weird name for me because I don't look like a Bill, but he has to believe me at face value. Okay, his name is Bill. And if I continue to meet up with this gentleman and do different things, I personally, I don't like lasagna. But Bill likes lasagna. I don't like olives. Bill likes olives. And this guy's none the wiser. He doesn't know. He's taking the ride. Okay? I'm keeping everything kayfabe with this guy. It's all on the inside. He's believing the efforts that I'm putting forth in front of him. Now, when someone, when I start talking to somebody else right in front of him, and I'm being AJ, and we're referring to each other back and forth, and he's calling me AJ, and what's going to happen to the other guy? Hey, I thought you were Bill. No, I'm not actually Bill. I just told you I was Bill because I'm Bill in that building. But outside of that building, I'm AJ. You know what's going to happen to that guy? He will never see me as Bill again. <laughs> never. He will see me as AJ. That's it. He will know of Bill. There might have been things about Bill that he liked that he doesn't like about AJ. But that glass is now shattered. And that, to me, is where, where kayfabe comes in. Okay, Because if you can convince someone of something to the point where they're willing to buy tickets to see you do it, why would you want to ruin that? And then use the excuse where it doesn't really matter, kayfabe's dead. No, 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 you had the kayfabe. If it's dead, it's because you killed it. That's why. It's not because kayfabe all around is dead. These fucking people don't go to some Elks Lodge in the middle of fucking nowhere for a $20 ticket to go see a bunch of fucking nobodies because they don't want to believe. They didn't go there just because they wanted to tell you it was fake shit. They went there because they wanted to be entertained for the next two to three hours. It's your job to provide that information. Midway through the movie, Robert Downey Jr. is not going to look into the camera and say, hi, guys, it's Rob. If you want to give me a second, I wanted to talk to you about something else first. It doesn't work that way. For that split minute that he's Tony Stark, God damn it, he's Tony Stark. And no one can fucking tell him, tell him any different. And that's why I say kayfabe is not dead, because if it is dead, it's, it's mostly because you killed it. Because you didn't do the things necessary that you needed to do to keep this character the way that it was. And very few times in my career have I had a chance to play an actual character. More often than not, I'm a ring announcer, I'm a host, I'm, a, I'm whatever. So I have to be interactive with literally everybody. But on the rare occasions when I was a heel, a heel manager per se, or just uh, 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 a character before I became a ring announcer when I was a babyface, 
when I was a babyface performer, I didn't have any fucking heels on my social media. It was the same thing when I was, I think it was last year, I was a heel manager for a stable. I didn't have any of the fucking babyfaces uh, messaging me. Uh, I didn't want to fucking, yeah, I was going to say, I didn't even want them messaging me. Like that, I wasn't commenting on their shit. I wasn't liking their shit. I I wasn't thanking people for the match afterwards. I wasn't none of that shit. None of that shit. Because in my in my eyes, you're the enemy. You're the enemy. And if you're not the enemy in my eyes, how can how can you be my enemy in the eyes of the casual fan? How? How can that happen? To me, kayfabe is about belief. Okay, people use it as a, a as, as an excuse. To, to to just do whatever they want to do because in their mind, kayfabe is dead. And there's too many... You know how many times I've seen actual marks? Like, a few weeks ago, they were they were buying tickets, and now they're in the locker room. Okay, I've seen it a thousand times. It happens. Uh, it's sad, but it happens. And the problem with that is, when they get in, they don't know anything about the business. They don't. They think they did. And that's that's one of the biggest problems. When when fans come into locker rooms or get into conversations with wrestlers or talk about wrestlers or talk to wrestlers online, whatever the case may be, they talk like they know the person. And you don't. You might have a relationship with them to a degree as a fan, but you don't. And for those people who like to comment online about different storyline ideas and booking, and then but they start talking like they know, oh, Vince is not going to do that. Vince is this, and Finn Balor is this, and you don't know. You have no fucking clue. None. Unless you've been in the business for several years, you have no idea what's going on. None. And the reason why you feel like you do is because of so many of these people who do break kayfabe, and they come out and they do these interviews and they spew all this information and they tell all these stories and they make you laugh and they make you cry and they get you upset and you buy in. Okay, you buy in. There's a reason these wrestlers don't do these interviews for free. Okay, and you buy into these stories and you don't know if they're true and you don't know if they're fake. You're just taking them at face value. That baby is kayfabe because if, if, if uh, a former WWE guy can come on to uh, a, 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 a radio show or a podcast and do an interview and talk all this shit uh, uh, about anything in the locker room, you fuckers eat it right up. You eat it right up. Okay? Everyone heard the Sinkara Simon Gotch story, right? But which story did you hear? Did you hear the one... Where Sin Cara beat up Simon Gotch? Did you hear the one where Simon Gotch beat up Sin Cara? Did you hear the one where it was a scuffle and nobody really beat anybody up? Do you know which one is true? No, you don't know which one is true. You have no fucking clue. You read one dirt sheet somewhere and all of a sudden you've got the story. You don't. And that's not just on the WWE level. Indie level too. There are fans who are religious to indie companies. And I see them at every show, and they go to every show, and they meet all the talent and all that stuff. You also don't know. You have no fucking clue what takes place at these shows. You have no fucking clue what happens behind the scenes. That's why I can't sit here and proclaim kayfabe to be dead. Because in my eyes, we still have them. We still have the belief. 
these people still believe the only difference between now in 1980 and 1960 and 1940, the only difference between now and any of those other decades is that fans are under the impression that they're in. That's the only difference. At least before, when they didn't know, for the most part, they would say they didn't know. This is the one generation where everyone swears up and down that they know, but they're just as clueless as all the other generations. They don't know. I have personally worked with a lot of big names, Hall of Famers, TV stars. I've worked with a lot of fucking people. But just because I worked with them does not mean I know them. Okay? That's, this, this is what I'm trying to tell you. I've had conversations with, okay, I'll bring it up. I've had conversations on three separate occasions with Mick Foley. Okay? Three separate occasions. By that, I mean three different shows. I worked with him on three different shows. Okay? Two in New York, one in New Jersey. I've spoken to him. I've gotten his opinion on things. He's critiqued my work. We've talked stories. I've heard him tell some stories about uh, his career and stuff. Good guy. Love working with him. I don't fucking know him. And I can tell you, I'm miles ahead of the rest of you who claim to know him when you don't. Just because he gave you an autograph how many months ago at some bingo hall somewhere does not mean that you know him. Okay? Same thing with, uh, I've worked with Jake Roberts, Jake the Snake Roberts, also three separate occasions. One in Connecticut, one in uh, New York, and one in New Jersey. I don't know him. The fucking guy played with my son during intermission. My, my one-year-old son got to play with Jake the Snake Roberts during an intermission. I don't know him. I worked with him. I wouldn't even call us a fucking acquaintance, to be honest with you. We're business associates at best. I don't fucking know these people. I worked with AJ Styles three times. I'm starting to get a pattern here. <laughs> I think people do about three and then I'm out. But yeah, AJ Styles I've worked with while he was the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. I don't know him. We're not friends. I don't walk around name-dropping these fucking people. Okay? There's a lot of guys who share locker rooms with these guys. Never say a fucking word to them all night. At best, they'll get a handshake. But then they'll leave, and they'll go on social media, and they're like, oh, it's good to see friends succeed. I love seeing my friends. Nah, not friends. Okay? That's when you start being... Uh, that's when you start getting blind to it. And those are the guys that break kayfabe all the time. All the time. Those are the guys that break it. Because they want to seem cool. They want to let you guys in. Here's what I know. They don't know shit. They're just feeding you regurgitated crap they read on the internet. And some of these guys were in the locker room and the situations that they're reading about on the internet and they still don't know. No clue. So to me, no, kayfabe's not dead. And to be honest with you, I think it'd be really fucking hard to kill it because everybody believes in something. If you can convince someone of something, that to me is a form of kayfabe. For as long as you can keep that lie going, for as long as you can keep this person believing in whatever it is that you're doing, brother, that's kayfabe. 
That's it. That's what it is. I got this fucker on a string. Okay? How many times do you see people lying to one another and keeping the lie going? The guy who's got a mistress on the side or anything. Think about it. Magicians. Magicians. They don't reveal their tricks. Why? Kayfabe. They don't want to give up the tricks because then you won't believe in the illusion. Even if you try to figure it out. I've had that before. How do they fake this? How do they fake that? More often than not, if I'm asked how a wrestler fakes something, it really crushes them when I tell them that they don't fake it. How do they fake the tax? They don't. Assholey land in them. Doesn't that hurt? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It sucks. It's not a fun ride. But they don't fake it. They do it. I'll get matches. Oh, how did they fake the blood here? They didn't. He's bleeding profusely. You should feel bad for him. That's why he's bleeding. He wants you to feel sympathy. Be sympathetic, you prick. Stop trying to look behind the curtain. Because even if we show you behind the curtain, you're not going to know. How many documentaries has the WWE done on the network? Kurt Angle and, and Goldberg and Finn Balor and all these guys have had the 24 specials done about them. That's an hour on Kurt Angle. I promise you, none of you fuckers know who Kurt Angle is. You don't know the man. Stop. You're not on the inside. You don't know. Facts are, you'll never know. I know it's fun to try, fun to prognosticate. I used to try when I was a fan back in the day. I'd read the books. I'd see the interviews, and I'd think to myself, yeah, all right, I can draw conclusions. It's the same thing when people say bad booking. This doesn't make any sense. It's bad booking. Well, guess what? Everybody has bad writing every now and then. I don't completely like everything I see on WWE television, but I don't shit on everything either because I didn't fucking write it. And the last thing I want people to do is fucking criticize my work when I write it because I've written shit before. I've done storylines before. I've come up with characters. I've come up with gimmicks before. I've done all those things. I've, I have the experience. I've written a Royal Rumble before, 30 men, and that's a pain in the ass. I would rather not do that again. And I wasn't the only one a part of the team that did it. It was like a four or five-man group that really helped put that shit together. But still, pain in the ass. I don't know how these guys do it, to be honest with you. But it's very difficult and hard work to fucking do it. That's the part that people don't get. Fans don't get that part. You know, they say, well, why won't they push this guy? Because probably because the guy's a fucking asshole. Or he's not as good as you think he is. There's a lot of fucking issues as to why some people get pushed. Well, that guy gets pushed because all he does is suck dick all day and they favor him. If I had a fucking company, forget wrestling, if I had an ice cream shop and I had a guy who was a dickhead, but he sold the most fucking ice cream out of everybody in that fucking store, guess who's my employee of the fucking month? That's right, the dickhead, okay? That's how that works. That's how business works. You know why John Cena was on top for so fucking long because he would bend and not break. Because when he would ask, when they asked to jump, all he said was how high. And if you want to fucking run a company smoothly, you need a fucking employee that does that. Do I need 18 yes men? No. One is not going to fucking hurt because I'm not trying to combat 18 fucking people a day. That's the part of booking a lot of fans don't understand. You're not putting puzzle pieces together. Okay, you're not putting pieces of plastic together or, or moving little toy cars around. 
These are people, human fucking beings, and all of them want to be placed in the top spot. When you got 20 fucking guys gunning for one fucking spot, I don't care how much you like a motherfucker, that's going to be a problem. And if you're sitting there listening to this going, well, it wouldn't be a problem. I know my one guy. I pushed the one guy. Okay, fine. You push your guy and lose five in the process to Impact Wrestling, to New Japan Pro, to the Indies, to whatever. You have to play both sides. Why? Because human beings are being played with here. That's why. It's not that simple. You can't just walk up to a guy and think you're going to say, all right, you're dropping the belts tonight, and then you go off with your fucking day. Whenever you tell a guy, hey, you're going to drop the belt tonight, get ready for a 25-minute fucking conversation because chances are he's not going to want to drop the belt or doesn't mind dropping the belt but not this way or he thinks it would be better booking if we did this or maybe this is not the right time. My family's here. They came to see me perform. I don't know if I should drop the belt. Eight million fucking reasons why not. And don't tell me, well, I don't give a fuck what he has to say. He's going to drop the belt. Yeah, okay. You know what the other thing is? I'm not wrestling. You drop the fucking belt, bitch. And yes, that's happened. Will you promote a main event? You tell the guy he's going to drop the belt. And the guy says, I'm not dropping the goddamn belt. And you're going to sit there and be Mr. Big Dick, right? You're the boss. And he said, oh, no, you're dropping the belt. All right, fucker, here's the belt. You drop the motherfucker. Bye. So please don't, please don't tell me you know what's going on. You don't. You're not on the fucking inside, okay? You, if you don't know business, you don't know business. And that's, that's, you're all part of the kayfabe at that point. It's all part of it. Because you, you're fantasizing about it. You don't know. That is where the kayfabe lies. That's why you're on the outside. Very few people, to be honest with you, are that inside where they've got it all figured out. And there are some that do. Some do. Some have most of it figured out. No one really ever has it all figured out. It's like any aspect of life. There's no one's perfect. But there are some that are fucking that are damn near 99.9. I see fans all the time. There's a rumor going around now that New Japan is interested in creating some sort of working relationship with the WWE. And I can see people's head exploding. Why would they want to work with the WWE? They're trash. I actually heard someone say they should work with the NWA or Ring of Honor. First of all, the New Japan has been working with Ring of Honor for how many years now in a row? They do the World of the Worlds uh, tour, Global Wars. What the fuck has that gotten them besides some of their young boys' more experience? How much has New Japan grown in the Ring of Honor era? The Ring of Honor has gotten a lot out of it. What is New Japan getting from it? Not a whole lot. Some American exposure. I would I would make the argument they got more exposure out of their uh, uh, that weekend show weekend set of shows they did with the U.S. Uh, title tournament in L.A. and that wasn't even a joint show that was just straight up New Japan show in the states. That probably got a more coverage than a fucking Ring of Honor show did. And let's not even talk about New Japan doing something with NWA. Are you out of your fucking mind? Can NWA get a chance to get his fucking bearings at this point? They're still trying to fucking get out from underneath the six feet of fucking dirt they've been under the last 20 years. And I love the shit that Billy Corgan's doing right now with the 10 Pounds of Gold series and Tim Storm and traveling around. I love it. 
You're, they're on the path to doing something really great with that. But now, but they're on the path. New Japan's not on the path to anything. They're ready right now. They need to go right now. And how can they resist the opportunity to work with a billion-dollar company in the wrestling business? You know, the one with, who also has its own streaming network site, the one who also does global television. Why the fuck would they not want some sort of working agreement with that? But fans don't see that. They don't see the business end of it. They don't see how it helps even them. Because a working relationship can lead to an Okada entrance at the Royal Rumble. Can lead to an Omega match at WrestleMania. That's what these things can lead to. It can lead to a Shield match over at uh, Okinawa. These are the type of things that can happen. But they don't see five, six, seven years down the road. They're only worried about right now and what they like. And that's why you're not in the business. Because we're not in the business of selling what we like. We're in the business of selling what the majority likes. We're in the business of either selling a, a general product like you do with the WWE or selling a niche product in an indie. Okay? That's what the business is about. It's about selling. All right? Everyone has passion. Everyone loves to entertain. But I can tell you right now, I've experienced this I know a lot of good guys who had a lot of promise, who said to themselves, you know what, I want to put on a pro wrestling show because nobody else is doing it right. That's what I hear all the time. No one else is doing it right. I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do a wrestling show the way that it's supposed to be done. Right? That's what we hear all the time. And you know what happens? They put the show together. They realize it's a whole lot harder than they thought. They go thousands of dollars into the hole. And because no one makes money off of their first three or four shows, they go deeper into the hole and deeper into the hole because they're having a trouble uh, uh, paying for talent. They gotta they gotta get the ring stuff together. They gotta pay the venue. They gotta pay the insurance. They gotta do all these different things, licensing, all these different things to put on these shows. And then they realize they were in way too fucking deep, and they fold. That's what ends up happening. Okay. It's great to have passion. It's great to have the will to entertain. But if you do not, if you do not have the ability to build a product that will sell, you will not last. So if you're listening to this right now and you're in the business and your only agenda is to make the fans happy, here's two cents worth of advice right here. You're not going to accomplish that goal. You're not going to make fans happy. You're going to make some fans happy, and you're going to make some fans not so happy. The key is to get more happy fans to pay and cover the cost to keep you afloat. That's what you want. You want as many fans as possible to keep you afloat. That way, you can then, once you become a stable company, then you can start developing stories and taking risks and all that stuff. Beyond did it. Did it very well. They did. They did a, a um. There's a company up in Canada, Superkick, that have done just that. They all did the best that they could at the beginning stages. They cut a lot of corners financially and just tried to save, save, save. And now they're prospering. PWG did it a while ago when they first started out. There's companies over in Europe that did it. It's a, it's a hotbed right now over in the UK. It's it's happened before. There are success stories, but it's hard. It's hard. No Yahoo can jump off of his couch after watching Netflix and the network all fucking day and go, I'm going to put a company together. 
It does not work that way. If you do not know how to put a company together, you're wasting your time and your money. I know a lot of people right now that are seriously in debt because they thought they could do this. Okay, It's a money-losing industry. For the most part, getting into this business is failure. Okay, It's not easy to get in and stay in. That's why when you have things like kayfabe going for you, you need to sustain it. That's why promoters sometimes will flip when you tweet stupid, like with uh, Leo Rush's tweet. That was a big one. Well, what are they so sensitive about? Well, they so, it's sensitive because you can't fucking have your coworkers making fun of other fucking coworkers on Twitter. Especially since you've got a bajillion fans and WWE is trying to get more bajillions on top of that to support their product. If you break kayfabe and shit on another person, the fan will follow you and shit on that person. That person is now dead in the eyes of the casual fan because why should I respect them if their own peers don't? That's why you have, people say all the time, stay the fuck off of social media. No one does it, but it's preferred. Either stay to yourself or stick to the script. It's not that hard. You don't have to break kayfabe. You don't have to create this. I just saw a video the other day that made me fucking sick to my stomach. It was a WWE video. Sick to my stomach. They had Braun Strowman in a fucking elf costume dancing around in the street. I was devastated. I'm not even that much of a, 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 a Braun guy. But I respect him. He's a monster. He has the look. His, his ability in the ring is catching up to where they want him to be. He is the perfect character right now. And they had him in the street dancing in an elf outfit. How in the fuck am I supposed to take him seriously as a monster when he's doing that? Yeah, he's a big guy. He's intimidating. But I wasn't intimidated by him before. I was scared of him before. That's what I'm paying a ticket for. When I hear, I know someone's going to get their ass kicked. Now, I don't know if someone's going to get their ass kicked or if he's going to come out twirling. Like when some of these people do SmackDown versus Raw games where they take the male characters and change their entrances to the divas. That's what it would look like. Braun would come out twirling and doing a little dosey do I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. I want to see destruction. There's a reason why Taker never did a Hall of Fame. You think Taker didn't want to do Hall of Fames? You think Taker didn't want to say goodbye to his friends? You think Taker didn't want to do interviews and get his name out there and open up other avenues of money for himself, possibly movies and TV shows? You think Taker didn't want to do those things like everybody else? But he kept to the kayfabe. He's a dead man in his eyes. That was his character, his gimmick. We all know he's not dead. We all know he's not a fucking zombie. We all know he wasn't the minister of uh, of darkness. We all know that the, the drop tattoo wasn't for real. We all knew Purple Gloves Taker didn't have a, 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 a exorcism or whatever. We know these things. But because he believed a certain way and handled himself a certain way, we believed in him to the point where him losing a match at WrestleMania caused tears and physical meltdowns. People were pissed when he lost at WrestleMania. The streak was over, 
and people were mad. And it's funny because it's the same people who tell me kayfabe is dead. One person will tell me, ah, kayfabe is dead. But you were the same motherfucker that cried when Taker lost. When Taker lost one match, the Lesnar match at WrestleMania 30, you bawled your eyes out. The wrestling world shit a chicken when he lost. Why? Did you believe? Is that belief, was that belief shattered that day? I heard people say it. It's the end of my childhood. It's the end of your childhood. You believed. That's kayfabe. You knew he wasn't dead. You knew realistically all we needed was the right booking for him to lose. But you didn't really think he would lose. You believed he would go undefeated forever. That's kayfabe. And there's no way that it's dead. It's just on life support. Because we have a generation of people who refuse to abide by the rules of kayfabe because they want to be celebrities. They want to be famous. They want to be the next guys on, on Dancing with the Stars. And they want to do all these different things. They want to be social media uh, superstars because that's a job now. There's, you could be a YouTuber. That's a job now. You know, be a YouTuber or, or an Instagram girl or, or a Facebook icon or whatever the fuck. That's a thing now. So don't tell me kayfabe doesn't exist. Kayfabe most definitely still exists. And it will always exist to me. Okay? So that was everything involved with that. I know what took up the whole episode, but that's fine. I just needed to get it off my chest. So... We are approaching the end of our show here, and I'm going to be announcing some more stuff on the social media. Again, I have all the social media stuff listed at the bottom of the episode. My family literally just walked in. I'm super excited about this because now I get to spend time with my family. And oh, My son. Hey, Alex. <laughs> here, say hi. Say hi. <laughs> Why are you breathing into the mic? Say hi. <laughs> so he's yeah so my son don't touch so my son's here my wife's here i'm gonna ready to get out of here uh i will update you guys on my cell phone situation stop i will update you guys on my cell phone situation and uh and we'll get this all out there so have a good night i will see you next week please Please listen to my husband's show.